I put this one in front because I think it brings out my eyes. Look at this. John just leaves all of his stuff on this as if he owns the place. And he said, man, I know Phil's carrying a bunch of stuff, so what else can I add on to here? All right, I forgive you. We're a community of mercy and grace. Ooh. Things are going to be a little tricky this morning. Forgive me. Well, good morning. I made it. We are in the season of Lent. And so on Ash Wednesday a few days ago, we started diving into the idea that we are dust, that we come from dust, and that we are going to return to dust. And so over the course of Lent, which is 40 days, not including Sundays, heading toward Easter, it's this time where we are invited to reflect, a time where we're invited to sort of go deeper, to make intentional space to connect with our mortality, to connect with God, to make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we're going to be doing a series going through different, what we call spiritual disciplines, talking about practical ways to sort of make space in our lives. So first, I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis, or it is going to be up on the uh, screen. Let's go ahead and begin there. So this is talking about the original creation. This is in Genesis chapter 2. It says this, Streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, this is important because we literally are made of the same stuff as the rest of creation. We come from dust. We're going to return to dust. Now, there's something special in the sense that it says God breathed the Spirit into us. So we also have this connection to the divine, this call to sort of go beyond just being physical to seeing that there's more to life. However, because we are dust, we are finite. Check out what Psalm chapter 103 says. Oh, come on, backpack. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish and like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and is gone, and its place remembers it no more. So we come and we go rather quickly. Ecclesiastes gets kind of depressing when it talks about this. It basically says that you're not going to be remembered for anything. Whatever wealth you build up is going to be given away. People are going to forget your name. It's just going to go on. You know, the, that's why the author says it's all havel, which is the Greek word for meaningless. It's all just like a breath, like vapor, because we are here and then we are gone. And so Ecclesiastes encourages us to be present each day to the work we are given, to be joyful, because we are finite. So we might as well celebrate being finite. But we don't really like being finite, do we? You do? Eric's the only one. <laughs> no, I mean, we like to pretend that we're not, don't we? We create all kinds of stuff to try and convince ourselves that we can do anything. I mean, do you realize, for example, that when Columbus crossed the Atlantic Ocean, it took two months? Two months. You know how long it takes to cross the Atlantic now? Like eight hours. Did you know, some of you may not know this, especially our high school students, in order to send someone a letter, you used to have to put it on the back of a horse, and that horse would gallop across the land, 
Pony Express. It would take weeks. So if you owned a business and you had some correspondence that lived somewhere else, it would take you weeks or months to get a response. Now you can get a response just in an instant. You can email someone. You can call someone. We are extremely connected. We like to make our world efficient. But the odd thing I've discovered is that as we get efficient, as we have the world at our fingertips, we don't actually seem to have any more time, do we? That's the odd thing about it. I would have thought, man, if it used to take weeks to conduct business, and now it takes five minutes, shouldn't you have the other one week, six days, 23 hours, and 55 minutes? No. We fill that space with other things, don't we? We, we create space, but that space doesn't necessarily lead to more real, meaningful space in our lives. We, we fill it up sometimes with things that don't matter. In fact, I would argue that we're possibly more stressed than ever because of our ability to move so fast, to try and go beyond the fact that we are dust. And this has many repercussions. Repercussions on our health, on our relationships, on the environment, even on our own happiness, on our stress levels, on all of this. But most importantly, our inability to create meaningful space in our lives with intentionality has consequences for our relationship with God. So if you look throughout Scripture, think about, for example, Elijah. Elijah finds himself in a really difficult position. He flees because the leadership in Israel at the time want to kill him. He goes out onto a mountaintop and he hears from God in a whisper. It says a storm passed, fire passed, all this stuff is passing, but God speaks through the whisper, and Elijah had made the space to hear it. Or in the life of Jesus, it tells us all the time that Jesus goes away by himself to solitude, to silence, in order to hear what God might be saying, to be shaped by God. But in our lives today, we carry so much stuff that gets in our way. Sometimes it's physical stuff. Sometimes it's emotional stuff. Sometimes it's things we need to do. Sometimes it's just in our minds. Whatever it might be, we carry so much that we miss what's most important. I mean, did you realize that you can literally see something and not see it? Did you know that? So Harvard did this experiment a while back called the Invisible Gorilla. Have all of you heard of this before? Yeah? Okay. So you all kind of know the punchline. But the study is they brought people in and they showed them a video. And the video had children holding basketballs or, you know, uh, dodgeballs, something like that. And they were wearing different colored shirts. And they told the people in this study, they said, we want you to count the number of passes between the kids in the video. So they start the video and the kids start bouncing the ball. They're running around throwing it to each other. And what happens partway through is a person, I think like six feet tall in a gorilla costume, walks into the middle of the kids, thumps its chest, and walks out the other side. Can you guess how many people didn't see the gorilla when they asked for responses after the test? About 50%. <laughs> About 50% of people didn't see a gorilla walk into the middle of a video thump its chest and walk out the other side. This, by the way, is one of the reasons that so many motorcycles get into accidents. People can literally look at a motorcycle and then drive right into it. 
because your mind is trained to expect a vehicle. So when you look to the right and you look to the left, you literally see it, but it doesn't register. This is why submarines have surfaced into ships before. Because they're in the middle of the ocean and they, they put up their periscope or they look and they say, oh, nothing's out there, and they surface. They literally saw the ship but didn't see it and crashed into it. So maybe this is the story about you. So this is your fault, Wayne. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's pretty fascinating, though. But study after study has shown what you don't expect, what you're not looking for, you are most likely not going to see. You're going to miss it. And so the more stuff in our life that we carry that takes up our time, that takes up our resources, that takes up our emotion, that literally takes up the physical space, the noise of our lives, because we have so much going on and so much to do, it's literally going to make hearing that whisper of God impossible. So, the good news is, I'm not going to leave you there, okay? I'm not going to leave you depressed. There is steps we can take. There are responses that we can make, ways that we can create space in our lives. Now, I do want to say, before we jump into this, spiritual disciplines, specifically what we're talking about today being fasting, is what we're going to get into, because we are going to be fasting as a community. Did you know that? I thought I'd get some applause, some excitement. Yay! Everyone else is like, what's he talking about? But we are not earning something with this. So when we talk about something like fasting, we're going to talk about prayer. We might even talk about meditation. We're going to talk about different disciplines, even service, different ways that we create space to hear the voice of God, space for what matters in our lives. None of it is meant to earn anything. I think that's one misconception about Lent as well. Jesus sacrificed himself for me, so God requires me to sacrifice something. So I'm going to give something up to sort of punish myself or just to sort of show God how much I care. This is not earning something, okay? It's not like you have to pay your way into the feast. Throughout Scripture, Jesus talks about, in, and in the Old Testament even, it talks about this feast that we're invited to. Things like fasting don't purchase your ticket, Okay? It's a free invitation. The question is, are we aware that we're invited? The question is, are we going to respond to this invitation? So as we're talking about these disciplines, please don't hear earning or in some way putting yourself down or in some way believing that you need to get God's attention and that fasting or certain forms of prayer are going to get God to all of a sudden stop whatever God is doing and say, oh, they cared enough to fast now I'm going to pay attention to them. That is also to miss the point. Fasting and other disciplines are responses to what God has already done. Jesus says, your Father in heaven already knows what you need before you even ask. It is a response. It is a space creator. So when Jesus teaches about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you fast, and then he teaches about fasting. Now, that word when is important. Notice he doesn't say if you fast. <laughs> Jesus takes for granted that these types of things are disciplines, practices that we are automatically already engaging in. 
And fasting is all throughout Scripture. So let's look at a couple passages to see why people have fasted. If you can go to Jonah there first. So this is after Jonah warns the people of Nineveh, Jonah's arch enemies, the Assyrians. He warns them that God is going to destroy them unless they repent. And the passage says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with dust and sat, or with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So in this sense, fasting was a response of God to wake up to their own ways of injustice. To wake up to the fact that they've missed what it means to be a nation. They've missed what it means to be a community. They thought it was all about them. And as a result, they did evil, violence in the world. And so Jonah calls them to repent and they fast so they can create space to reflect on their own actions and change. See, the point of the fast isn't just the fast itself. It's not a one-time event where we just do it for its own sake. What it actually is is something that shapes us to go forward differently. And by the way, did you see in the, did, did any words jump out to anybody in the first slide when it said he put on sackcloth and did what? Sat in the dust. This is not an accident that dust is referenced. When people go to do fasting, we often hear about things like sackcloth, dust, ashes. Why? Because they are physical reminders of the fact that we are dust, we are finite, we haven't done everything right, we don't have it all together. And so they fast in order to create space, in order to remind themselves. Which, by the way, if you are shocked that we are fasting, your animals are going to be even more surprised. Did you see? They even made their poor animals wear sackcloth and fast. So I hope your little kittens and puppies and everyone's ready. No, just kidding. I won't make you make your dogs fast, Rita. That's okay. But I've always found it fascinating. They're so into it. They say everybody is going to fast. All right, let's look at the next one. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So in this sense, Jesus is not fasting in order to repent. Jesus is fasting in order to get his life in line with the Holy Spirit. I mean, do you realize Jesus' ministry starts when the Spirit comes upon him? And Jesus says, if I'm going to live, basically, in line with the Holy Spirit— he goes out into a place of silence, into a place of solitude, and fasts. Why? So that he can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and live in line with that guidance. So on the one hand, we might fast because of repentance in order to wake us up to our own injustices and violence. Or we might fast in order to say, I need to hear from God, and I believe that God is speaking, but I am so cluttered by the stuff I am carrying, the things I am doing, how I've filled my space, I'm going to fast in order to create space to hear what is important. Let's do one more. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, 
The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I had called to them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So here's a big decision the church is making in the book of Acts. And what do they do first? They fast and they do it together with prayer. Making space to say, we want to make sure we are walking forward in wisdom. We have a decision to make. And so we create the space so that we are not driven by things that we don't know about. Because did you know, everything in your life, the stuff that you carry, how you spend your time, even what you eat, what you listen to, what you talk about, what you do with your life, every single thing you engage in is shaping you in some way. So sometimes we need to fast to say, you know what, all of this stuff, everything in the world is telling a narrative. It is telling a story about what the good life is. So whether it's a car, whether it's a soda, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a job, whether it's anything you buy or participate in, it is telling you a story of how you can best live the life that you have. But what happens is those things often subconsciously work on our life. They work under the surface because we're just engaging them, but they have a motive. They are shaping us. I can tell you right now, for example, that I'm sweating unlike usual when I preach. I keep having to adjust this. It's almost become natural. I don't even realize it. I'm carrying stuff, and it is affecting the way that I am preaching, the way that I am in front of you. And if I were to make a decision from this place, I may not even realize how this stuff is affecting me. So what they say is we fast in order to create space and say, let me reflect on the things in my life and decide and better understand how they are impacting how I go forward. Is that making sense? So fasting is an invitation to respond what God has already done. It's not meant to be one more burden. It's meant to create space so that we can reflect on it. So what happens in fasting is we say, you know what? I'm going to put something down for a time. So historically, this has also often been things like food, right? We see Jesus fasting from food. Or you might say, you know what, I'm going to fast from electronic devices, or I'm going to fast from entertainments, or I'm going to fast from social media or movies. Or you may say something like, you know, I'm going to fast from maybe even complaining. I'm going to fast from gossip. I'm going to fast from different ways of responding to things that happen in my life. And now what happens is when you fast from something, whether it be for a day or a week or all 40 days of Lent, by the way, Lent isn't the only time we're allowed to fast, just so you know. It's not like God said, you shall have these 40 days to fast and never other times. No, Lent is a time where we're meant to get more intentional about it. However, when we fast from something, so say it's food, so we as a community are going to fast for, from different things for a week at a time, from Sunday to Sunday. And so from this first, in this first week, I'm going to invite you to fast from sugar beyond what is in just your normal meal. Does that make sense? So this is kind of an easy one to start with. We're, we're going to sort of ramp it up in some different ways. But this means, you know, sugary beverages, desserts, things that have sugar that you don't need to say, let me set it aside. Because when it's on you, when you're carrying it, you can't really see the whole thing. You can't see all the ways it's got its grip on you. This is the problem often with addiction. Until you name it, you can't actually deal with it. 
So setting it aside is a sense of naming. I am setting aside this thing that may or may not have a grip on me, but I may not know until I separate it and say, let me look at it from another angle. So we're going to do this with social media, like I mentioned as well. We're going to do this with other things. And what you say is, you know what? At the end of the week, I'm going to pick it back up again. But I'm only going to pick it up with half as much inside as before. Or I'm going to pick it up again, but I know now how it affects me, and I need to be aware of that. So that could be a positive thing. You don't only fast from things that are negative. It's not to say I'm fasting from it because it's evil and bad, and I should never necessarily engage it again. But you can pick it up with more health. Or you say, no, you know what? This doesn't have a place in my life. It is taking up space in a way that isn't bringing life and joy and peace and connection. And so I need to leave it there either for a time or forever. Because if I pick it up again, it's not going to lead me closer to the voice of the Spirit and the direction of God. It is going to take me away. So it is formative for us. This is why when we fast from something, the intention is to use that space to replace it with something else. So when we do social media, for example, or television, the idea is don't just replace it with something else that takes up your time. Replace it with an intentional activity, either with scripture or prayer or family or some other life-giving thing. Because by the way, all of life is spiritual. A pastor once said, he said, you know, if you were to ask Jesus how his spiritual life was, he wouldn't have known how to answer the question. Because he would have said, I, I don't know the difference between everything I do and my spiritual life. So washing dishes can be a spiritual experience. Mowing the lawn can be a spiritual experience. Playing with your children can and is a spiritual experience. So what we do in fasting is we set something aside so that we can intentionally use that time and space and those resources to focus on something that is going to bring you greater life, health, and connection. Amen? So brothers and sisters, this week we invite you to gain a different perspective on the place of some unhealthy food such as sugar. A way to say, can I step back from having dessert? Can I step back from putting sugar in my coffee or uh, having that soda or whatever that might be? Maybe it's even sugary foods. And if you already say, you know what, all I eat are vegetables, then consider what is something similar in your life that you do that you know isn't healthy, that you know it's not adding to your life? Take a week and say, I'm going to step away from that thing. And maybe I come back to it, maybe I don't, maybe I engage it differently. But with that time and space, reflect on the space of that thing and invite God to speak to you in that time. Because what you are searching for is what you are going to find. What you create space for is what is going to grow. So this week and this Lent, may you create space for the Spirit so that we can respond to what God has done, respond to the voice of God in our lives as we move toward the cross and the resurrection. And we are intentionally doing it as a community. So each week we're going to invite, if there's a couple of you who would like to share your experience of the previous week, we would love to hear your voice. If you are struggling during the week, call one of us. Call someone from a small group. 
ask, how are they doing with it? And it may feel silly. You may say, but it's just sugar. It's not heroin, right? It's not pornography. Why should I struggle with this? We are not going to judge you for that. You all know I like Dr. Pepper. So that means this week, no Dr. Pepper. It has doctor in the name, by the way. I think that means it's a good thing. But no, point being, we are here as a community. We are going through this together. And maybe you even make space with someone else in the community to say, how can we together hear the voice of God? How can we form one another? So be intentional. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the good news that all the stuff we're carrying in our life, stuff that others have put on us, stuff that comes from our childhood, stuff that comes because it was a coping mechanism. Because you know what? Sometimes life is hard, Lord, and we turn to things for comfort, and they aren't always good for us. And then they grip us, and we can't let go. Lord, some things we don't even realize the way that they're influencing us. But we thank you that you are with us in that space. So Lord, we come before you and we know your face has already turned toward us. We know you are already speaking. So Lord, we aren't trying to earn anything but to hear your voice, Lord. Open our eyes, open our ears. As we create this space, Lord, form us in ways that can bring greater shalom to the world, justice. May who we become, may the perspectives that we gain, Lord, lead us to be people who love others better who have the space for patience and mercy and grace, the same mercy and grace that you have shown to us. So Lord, I pray that you work in each of our hearts this week, this season of Lent, to know the things that we need to put down for a time. Give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the community, Lord. May we seek your face and may we find it. We turn all these things over to you, Lord, and entrust them to you. However the evil, however Satan might attack us this week, Lord, I pray that you protect these brothers and sisters, that you lead them down the straight path to life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.